From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. We live in hope because of Jesus Christ. And the third chapter of 1 Peter comes to a close with Peter focusing in specifically on the hope we find in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter never lets us get far away from the anchor of our hope, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The empty tomb is proof that your salvation has been obtained if you have trusted Christ. Now let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, as our Building on the Basics series continues. Now here's Pastor Clay. Hey, it's, uh, it has been a busy year uh, for everybody. It's been a lot going on, been a lot happening, and um, a lot will be happening in 2016, I'm sure. Uh, I said this before, but you know, if God allowed us to see ahead of time what was in front of us in 2016, most of us would more than likely probably run in the opposite direction or try and lock ourselves in the closet or or something like that, because we know we know things come, great times come, great things happen, and all that kind of stuff. But we also know that adversity can come, tragedy can come, uh, all kinds of things that can come into our life, which just reminds us uh, that uh, there is a reason that we need to long for something better, that there is something co- uh, coming that will be far better than anything that we experience here. I don't know when that will be. We all look around, and there, lots of people are saying, man, there's so much going on in the world, and all this upheaval and all this kind of stuff. Jesus must be getting ready uh, to come back uh, soon. I suspect uh, He is. I kind of feel that way, but at the same time, uh, if He doesn't come back in 2016 and, uh, and, he, and He allows me to stay here, I pray that He just finds me and, and each of us just faithfully serving where He's called us to serve, uh, to give, to go, to, to tell, to do all those things that He's told us uh, to do. 2015, uh, as we said a second ago, went by fast. It went by in a hurry. But it caused me, as I was working on this message this week, to just kind of reflect and, and look back at 2015 and, and where all we've, we've been as far as the teaching time is concerned. Because I think sometimes uh, some, we, we all maybe perhaps can, can tend to forget uh, what all that we have covered in a year. And I was looking back and I thought, wow, we, we've done some good things uh, in 2015. In, in 2015, we started out actually uh, by finishing up something that we spent pretty much all of 2014 doing. And that was looking at the life of Jesus in a series uh, called Jesus the Real Action Hero. Some of y'all remember that series as we walked through the book of Mark and just saw that Jesus was this man of action and He can be this man of action for our lives. He is this man of action for our lives uh, even today. And after Jesus the Real uh, Action Hero, uh, we spent some time, I think, in the book of Genesis and the book uh, Song of Solomon, book of Ephesians, uh, walking through a, a marriage series uh, that we did uh, called Till Death Do Us Part. You see, you got to say it that way. Till Death Do Us Part. It was much funnier when we did it earlier. And, and then from that, just a natural transition, I think it just applies since we were dealing with marriage. Then we just moved on and we just went all the way through Ephesians chapter 6 uh, in a series entitled, say it with me, Modern family? <laughs> Good. What is, what is a modern, all that kind of, so, so we walked uh, through that. Now, lately, uh, for the last few months, we've been doing a series called Building on the Basics. Okay. Thank y'all for that vote of confidence. And, yeah. <laughs> we've been doing a series called Building on the Basics. And we started in the book of James and the basic of faith. Come on, I need y'all's help today, really. On the basic of faith. And we walked through the book of James and we looked at how faith is an, is an integral part of our life 
uh, an integral part of this relationship with God and why faith is so vital, not only to the spiritual aspect of our life, but, but life in general. And then now, uh, lately, for the last number of, of uh, weeks, uh, we have been in the book of First Peter, and we are building on the basic of hope. Both First and Second Peter will deal with that basic of hope. We're looking at what the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that you find in, uh, in, in Peter's letters, in, in two letters that we look at, is that Peter never lets us get very far from the true source of our hope. We're going to talk about that a lot uh, today. A good bit of Peter is, uh, is a combination. It's both theological and it is practical. Now, I understand the culture in which we live in today, and let's be honest with you, and probably not y'all, y'all are probably not this way at all, but most people in the culture today, it's like, I don't give a rip about the theological, just give me the practical. Just tell me three steps to a happier life, and five steps to a happier spouse, and, and you know, and it's just, I just want practical. What Peter keeps reminding us is, is you can't separate the two. You can't you can't experience the practical aspect of a, of a walk with Christ unless you understand theologically what it means to walk with Christ. And so, and so he's, he's always bringing those two together, which by the way, it's not necessarily rare that you find that throughout Scripture, where Scripture, throughout the Bible, you find, you find the practical and you find the, the theological. The practical tells us how to live in it. The theological tells us what we live in and why we live in it. They're inseparable. And so, it's interesting, as, uh, as chapter 3 draws to a close, now chapter 2 Peter is, it closes out theological. Chapter 2 closes out with Peter taking us to the cross and uh, telling, basically showing us why, why our lives should be different. You may remember that in chapter 2, why our lives should be different as a result of the cross. Here at the end of chapter 3, y'all with me? Here at the end of chapter 3, he takes us back to the cross but this time he spends time, and we're going to spend, it's going to be a lot of time this morning, it's, and it's going, to, it's going to seem technical at times, but Peter does this for a reason, and uh, I'm just repeating what, what he says basically. But here at the end of chapter 3, Peter takes us back to the cross, but this time he's showing us what the cross accomplished, and, and what the result of the empty tomb is, and why that is so crucial for our lives, and the hope that we, that, that we want, can I, is, I think this is a true statement to say. Everybody wants hope in their life. Everybody wants hope. Now, people may not call it that. Maybe that sounds like, I don't know. But, but everybody ultimately is looking for hope. Now, people may look forward in, in climbing the corporate ladder or in relationships or in, in accumulation of wealth or in a new toy or, or you know, whatever the case may be. But everybody ultimately is looking for this idea of, of some kind of satisfaction and meaning and, and purpose and, and that, that there's more to this life. That's really kind of what hope is. And so Peter takes us back to the place that he often takes us to. He takes us back to the cross today to show us just what the cross means for our life and what the empty tomb means for our life. At the end of this service today, we're having a baptismal service. Meredith Trapp is, is recently trusted Christ, our personal Savior. She's going to publicly testify to that through the ba baptismal waters this morning. So we're excited about that. And Peter, if it, time permitting, if we can get to it, has something to say, actually, about that. So, if, you're, if you've got a copy of God's Word with you, 
uh, hard copy, electronic copy, whatever the case may be, open it to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to have it up on the screen as well, uh, as we do uh, most every week, so you can follow along that way. But if you brought a copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, just a few verses this morning, but a lot to say in those few verses. Verses 18 through 22. 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. Ready? Set? Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> Just remember, you said go. <laughs> okay, here we go. Listen, and I realize if you weren't here, if you haven't been here in the series, we're kind of jumping in the middle of a, of a chapter, but it's okay. You, you'll, you'll, you'll get it here. He says, verse 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Lord, thank you today again for the privilege of being here, for the privilege of being your messenger boy to these, your people, who... I pray, are hungry for the Word of God. That is uh, the passion of my life. That is what you've, you've asked me to do with my life. It's to try and communicate the truth of your Word uh, to people. And God, I, I don't want to take shortcuts. I realize we only have a certain amount of time each week. And I realize that, that in the culture where we, everything comes to us immediately, uh, that, that shapes in us a desire to want instant answers, instant gratification, instant solutions, uh, but the, the truth is you tell us in your word that we, that we need to dig, we need to make effort to, to know you uh, through the revelation of your word. So uh, today as we look at these few verses from First uh, Peter chapter 3, there's a, there's a lot to say as we break it down. God, I pray for clarity uh, from my mouth, that, that what I would say would be communicated clearly. I pray for clarity of mind. Uh, that people would uh, would not be distracted, that they would not uh, be drifting off in different directions, but would be focused on what you have to say here. Because it's really important. God, I, all of your word obviously is important, but this is really important because this is the foundation of our hope. This this is where it begins. And in a very real sense, this is where it ends. It all centers on the cross and the empty tomb. Father, I, I can't uh, think. We've gone through several series this year and and, and that's been wonderful, but I can't think of a better way to end 2015 than returning to the cross and to the empty tomb. Uh, may we leave here today with a renewed sense of hope. Every person in this room, there are people hurting in this room today. They, they come in, they smile, they, they, they put on their faces and, 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 and buck up like we often do, try and look good for everybody, but there are people in this room that are hurting. There are people in this room who are uncertain about their future. There are people who are scared to death about what might happen in 2016. There are people in this room who are excited about what might be in front of them in 2016. There is uncertainty. There is oftentimes stress and anxiety. 
and even fear. Your word tells us perfect love casts out all fear. So today, may the perfect love that you give to us be communicated through your word. And may we find hope. May every person in this room find hope today, no matter what has happened or will happen in 2015 or 2016 or anywhere beyond that, may we find and live in the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. In His name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, all right, here we go. Let's, uh, let's jump into it. Here's the first idea. I'm going to share a couple ideas and, and break down those two ideas uh, within that. So, first idea is this. His death, Christ's death, makes provision for your salvation. Jesus' death makes provision for your salvation. As I said a moment ago, Second Peter, he takes us to the cross. I mean, First Peter chapter 2 takes the cross. First Peter chapter 3, he takes us back to the cross, but this time for kind of a different uh, reason. Uh, it is to point out the provision that is given to you in your life as a result of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Christ. And let's, we're going to break it down, okay? We're going to break it down like this. Here we go. Here's the first one. I want you to notice first that his death was a sufficient provision. His death was sufficient. Watch, watch the text now. Watch what Peter says. And, I, and Tyler has bolded out the parts that I'm trying to emphasize. First part of verse 18. For Christ also died for sins. Say that bold part with me. Once for all. It carries a finality to it. it. It carries a finality to it. Christ died for sins once for all. You see, in the Old Testament times, people, people, people didn't have the true assurance of that as, as we have. Even the nation of Israel would have to continually bring uh, animal sacrifices and listen, it didn't even take their sins away, but to only temporarily cover their sins. Now, it was all part of God's providential plan because he was ultimately going to send the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world forever. But, but before that time came in history or, or in our existence, before that time, uh, the nation of Israel had to offer up animal sacrifice and they had to continually do this. And not to, as I said, not to take away their sins, but to only cover their sins. But when Christ came, his, the, the result was our sins taken away forever, permanently. And listen, not just in Old Testament times. I have been, some of you have been places in the world where it is tragic, it is sad to see people uh, offering up sacrifices to their, whatever their idea of God is, offering up their idea, uh, their, their idea of God, offering up sacrifices that they hope in some way and continually doing it, whether, whether it's some type of bringing food or, or burning incense or giving money or whatever the case may be, this idea of continually bringing these things in the hopes that it will be enough somehow to, to, to make it okay, that God, their God will be okay with them because they, they brought enough. What a, what a tragic way to live. I am so grateful that I do not have to live life that way. I don't. Uh, look, here's the way... Uh, John 19.30 put it. Jesus speaking. He's on the cross. And as He's, as he's gone through this, this suffering, as the sins of the world have been heaped upon Him, John translates it in what, in what I believe was a victory shout. I, I don't believe it was a shout of defeat or a moan of defeat. I believe it was a victory shout. It is finished! It is finished. In the language that Jesus spoke, uh, Aramaic, the term was tetelestai. 
As I understand it, it was a trading, it was a very common trading term in those days. It was used between merchants and, and vendors and people purchasing goods. And it was the way of identifying when, when a, a purchase was made, when that purchase was paid in full, the merchant would, would stamp or write to telestai. This is, this is paid in full. That's what Jesus did for you, ladies and gentlemen. It is paid in full. There is nothing more you need do. There is nothing more that you can do to make you any more acceptable to God. Do you understand how, how gloriously freeing that is when you understand that it has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you are or anything that it has to do with, with who He is and what He has done for you. And His death was sufficient payment for you. Let's talk about that. Look at what it, what it says here. His death was also a substitutionary provision. It was sufficient. It was substitutionary. Now watch this. Again, back to verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Say it. The just for the unjust. Nothing personal against you, but you are a sinner. Clearly it came as a shock. To, but, but you are. I mentioned this last week. In, in the Christmas message, but it, in, in Romans chapter 3, uh, Paul reminds us that all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I mentioned last week that, that the, the word literally means to miss the mark. Do you remember that if you were here? You've missed the mark. And I emphasize that today, I emphasize that because what I have discovered in my conversations with people through the years is that while most people have no problem admitting that they are not a perfect person. I, I get that all, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, I, I, I've made mistakes. You know, I messed up. The vast majority of people I talk to have no problem uh, admitting that. But, and almost always, people add a big but. But, you know, I, I'm not really a bad person. In other words, compared to a, a serial rapist or a, a kidnapper or an ISIS murderer, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not such a bad guy. I'm not such a bad person. As a matter of fact, I, I even go out of my way. I try to be kind to people. I try to, try to be nice to people. I try to, try to help people. I, I think that's wonderful. And, and I have no doubt that it's true. There's only one problem with that. Serial rapists and kidnappers and ISIS murderers are not the standard that you and I are held up to. The standard we are held up to is God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had in this conversation with, with, the, with, the, with the Jewish people and He's trying to help them understand because they had, they had so bought into this idea that well, we're God's chosen people and if we just do all these ritualistic things, if we just do all these good works, God's going to be impressed and, and we're going to be the ones that are going to get in all those other heathen Nathans, nations. They're, they're not, but we're getting in as long as we do all this stuff. And Jesus was so trying to help them understand that it has nothing to do with how good a person that you are. And in, and in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 48, He says this, okay, so you must be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm just thinking, just like it did just now, I'm just thinking it got real quiet right after Jesus said that. Because everybody knows they're not perfect. So you must be perfect, just as your Father in Heaven is perfect. If, if you want to do it, if you want to be good enough, if you want to do it on your own, then here's all you got to do. All you got to do is be perfect. You'll hit the mark. The problem is we've all missed the mark. We, we, we've all said things or, or done things that, that we know are things that God would not do and would not have us do. And the Bible calls that sin. And listen, it could even, it could even be one 
Just one, one, one sin in your whole life. Just one sin. And that would make you imperfect. And that would mean you'd miss the mark. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he came. That's why he lived this perfect life. That's why he willingly laid down his life and went to the cross so that he could be the substitution for ours. So that his perfect, sinless life could hit the mark. Not for himself, because he didn't have any sins to pay for. But so that he could hit the mark for you and for me. So that we could be redeemed. That's what made it possible. Without it, there would be no possibility, no hope whatsoever. With it, we have all hope as a result. And look at this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There it is. There's the reason. It was a substitutionary provision. Do you understand? Think about this. In a jury setting, in a, in a courtroom setting, God as judge, and no one, I don't think any, hardly anybody would deny the fact that God has every right to be judge of His creation, God, as judge, pronounces you guilty of sin, as you obviously are, as I obviously am. Pronounces us guilty, guilty as charged. But then in an unbelievable display of love, he steps down from the bench and steps forward as our defense attorney, and not only steps into the position of our defense attorney, but actually steps in front of us and says that he will take the charge against us. He will take the penalty for our sin against us. It's an amazing thing called grace, what God has done for us. Okay, His death was also a purposeful provision. It was a purposeful provision. Now watch this, stay with me now. First Peter 3.18 again, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that, say it, He might bring us to God. I'm going to... Uh, share something with you that um, perhaps some of you have never thought of before. But Jesus didn't die just so that you and I could miss hell. Praise God! I'll never have to go to hell. I'll never experience whatever all hell is. I will never experience that because of what Christ did for me. But listen, that's not the primary reason that Jesus died. If it were just a matter of trying to keep us out of hell, well then all God's got to do is never create us in the first place and nobody ends up in hell. That solves that one. But you see, there's something more at work here. It's not just so that you can miss hell. Jesus died, ladies and gentlemen, so that you could have a relationship with God. And and that's a very different thing. Jesus died so that you could have a personal, intimate, ongoing, continual, effectual, powerful, peaceful relationship with God. Something that would be impossible without it because of our sins, because of God's perfection. We could not have a relationship with Him. And so Jesus' death, His his provision was purposeful in that it allowed the opportunity for you and I to have a relationship with the living God. For relationship. For relationship. Think about this. Have you ever thought about the fact that every culture, every people group, every tribe, every nation ever discovered on the face of this earth, no matter how primitive or no matter how advanced, Every single one, without exception, throughout history, has worshipped something. Why would that be? Why would man, would mankind, have this innate desire to draw towards some type of higher power, a higher being? 
Because God has created us to know Him, to, to be in relationship with Him. And listen, you don't have to believe me. I know some of y'all, if you're young enough, you, you're saying, hey, that's just a preacher talk. But I'm telling you, you can try whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can spend your money on whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can be with whoever you want. But I'm telling you, you will never find it. You'll never find what you're looking for until you find it in a relationship with the living God. You just won't. And I understand, everybody's out there doing it. Everybody's trying it. But I'm just telling you, God has created you for something else. Ask yourself this question. And, and, and this question will go a long way to determining where you are in your understanding of who God is. But ask yourself this question this morning. Do I think about what Jesus did more in terms of what He gets me out of or what He lets me into? Because I'm going to be honest with you. If I get in conversation with people about this that, that, that are born-again believers, it oftentimes focuses on the fact that I'm so grateful that I, that I don't have to go to hell. I'm so grateful that, that Jesus paid so that I, I don't have to pay for my sin. And, and praise God, that's, that's, that's true, but do you understand that it's so much more than that? It's so much deeper than that? It's not just so He could get you out of hell. So that He could let you into the family of God and have a relationship, an ongoing, purposeful relationship with God. Okay, one more uh, in, this, in this first breakdown. His death was a patient. His provision uh, that's made possible through His death was a patient provision. And I'm going to go through something that's going to take a little bit of time. And some, some of it's going to sound kind of technical, but let, I'll say this again. I think I prayed this earlier. Listen, my calling is to teach you the Word of God. That, that's what I'm called to do, to teach you the Word of God. So I'm not going to gloss over it anytime I can. I'm not going to try and uh, I'll rush through it faster than I want to, but... But we'll get to some application afterwards, okay? Uh, look at uh, the passage again. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that, it, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, this is Christ, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting. The patient provision. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. What, what, what's Peter, where's he going with this whole Noah and the ark thing? Let me tell you this. this. This particular passage of Scripture is a difficult one to interpret. All right? there, have been, there have been a lot of different interpretations about what all this meant when it says that Jesus went to, to prison. In other words, He went, went to hell and preached to those in the day, in, from the days of Noah in hell. It's a difficult passage to know with certainty exactly what it's saying. And as a result of that, as you might guess, there have been numerous interpretations of this text and what it means. You may not find application in this, but my job is to teach you the Word of God. Okay. First interpretation I bring out kind of uh, basically looks like this. Here's what it means. That after his crucifixion, after he died on the cross, before, he, before the resurrection, before he rose again, Jesus went to hell. By the way, let me just say this. If your understanding of one of these interpretations, or, or what I'll pr promote as my interpretation, if your interpretation or your understanding or what you have been taught previously doesn't match up with mine, that's okay. There's no major doctrinal area addressed necessarily in this, okay? All right? Jesus went to hell to preach the gospel to those from Noah's time so that they would have the opportunity to believe in Jesus. That is what one of the interpretations that is put forward, that Jesus went to hell so that they, they could uh, have the opportunity to uh, uh, preach, to hear the gospel. It is what is uh, in Latin is sometimes referred to as the descensus ad inferas. You, you may hear uh, a, a Catholic person perhaps uh, may, have, may be familiar with that term. The descensus ad inferas, the descent into hell. 
Jesus died on the cross, went to hell, preached to the, uh, the, the people days of Noah so that they would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. All right, all right. I got a couple problems with this interpretation. All right. First, why only the people of Noah's day? All right. Well, I mean, why do they get a special card? What about all the other people in hell? Before Noah's day, after Noah's day, why only? The text clearly, specifically says the people of the days of Noah, doesn't it? So why only the people in the days of Noah? The second and probably more important problem I have with this interpretation is that nowhere, nowhere in Scripture is there even the slightest hint that God gives people an opportunity to come to Him after the grave. Not the slightest indication at all. As a matter of fact, exactly the opposite is, is found to be true. That, that what Scripture teaches is that any person that would come to a relationship with God, would come into a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, anything that they're going to do for God or, or have with God must be made before the grave. Just, just something to keep in mind if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Or if you're listening to this. The second interpretation is similar, uh, but it looks like this. Jesus went to hell. He made the descensus ad inferas. But, not to preach the gospel, but to proclaim triumph over the forces of evil. Okay. <laughs> All right. Should I even bring up my third interpretation now? <laughs> he went to hell, but not to preach the gospel, but to proclaim his triumph over the forces of evil. Now, I will confess to you, I, I, this is a possibility. It is quite possible that that's what Jesus did, that he went down into hell and he proclaimed the triumph now again, you've got to deal with why only those in the days of Noah? <laughs> Didn't the other people need to know it too? or something? You know, why, only no, why only the people from the days of Noah would he go down there and, pre- and preach to? But the other problem I have with this interpretation, Steve, <laughs> is, that, is that if they're in hell, I'm pretty sure they know they're on the losing side. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm pretty sure that they know that they made the wrong choice, that they should have, that they should have listened, that they should have listened to Noah, they should have turned to God, they should have, and they didn't. I'm pretty sure they would know that. And I'll, I'll just throw this in too. I don't think it's, a, I'm not saying that God's not worthy of glory and praise, and I'm not saying that there's times He doesn't declare that and have the heavens declare His message. I'm just saying that, that to me, it, it's not in keeping with God's character, I don't think, to go down there and basically say, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of this, but that's how it's going to sound. To basically go down there and say, eh, nana, nana, boo, boo, I was right, you were wrong, you should have followed me. It, it, it's just something about it, just doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, it's in character with who God is to go and to preach again only to those in the days of Noah. It's okay if you don't agree with me. But the third interpretation, the one I hold to, uh, was first actually proposed by the... Uh, uh, the early church pastor and theologian Augustine. And Augustine uh, basically uh, said this. He said that those from the days of Noah who are now in hell, by the way, this, this, this uh, interpretation is based on the fact that the text doesn't actually tell us when Jesus preached to those in hell. So it could have been while they were in hell, but as this theory is proposing, it could have been before they went to hell. So that those from the days of Noah who are now in hell were preached to by the Spirit of Christ through Noah in the, in the days, in the 120 years while Noah was building the ark 
that he was preaching, both in his actions and in his words, he was preaching to them, in essence, the gospel, the need to turn to God, to repent and to ha- have a relationship with God. And as Peter pull, ter- points out, in the end, only eight people do. After 120 years of preaching, I think I've got it bad sometimes. After 120 years of preaching, only eight people, and they were all family, responded to what he was saying. I believe what the text is saying is that it was the Spirit of Christ working through. No, by the way, First uh, uh, Peter, I think, like one eleven, uh, indicates that the Spirit of Christ was on the Old Testament prophets. Second Peter chapter five calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So it's my conviction that it was the Spirit of Christ preaching through Noah in the Old Testament times, saying to them in the days before the the warning came, before the flood came, before the end came. And Peter has a lot to say about the end. That's why he's tying these two together, I believe. Before the end came, hey, turn, turn, turn to God. This is the time to do it. Because listen to me, after 120 years, after 120 years, the day came when God shut the door. By the way, you go back to Genesis and look at it. God shut the door of the ark. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, or you're listening to this message, or you're watching this message, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe you've heard the Gospel five times, maybe 50 times, maybe 500 times, but listen to me, one of these times will be the last time. And the time to accept Christ as your Savior is this time. It's right now. This is the time to do it. God patiently waited. I can say this absolute personal testimony. God certainly waited on me when I was a heathen living my life, doing what I wanted to do without any care or concern at all about God and what He thought. God patiently waited and drew me unto Himself. And if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, God patiently waited for you. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I can say to you, even now, God is patiently waiting waiting on you. But at some point, the door will close. I want, this is going to take a few minutes, but I want to read something to you. I brought this up here today so I could read something to you. Because I want you to understand just how sufficient His death was for us. The provision that it made. And, and you may fall anywhere in between. What, this is going to be extreme that I'm reading here. But, but, but this points to just how great God's grace is. You understand how great God's grace is. This is a, uh, a story uh, in a book uh, entitled uh, God's Answer to Man's Sin by Hyman Appleman, who was an evangelist from a number of uh, years ago. And he's telling a story about Charles Finney, who was an evan- a great, famous evangelist from the 19th century. So a long time ago, okay? That's all right. Right? Doesn't have to just be, you know... I realize everything's old news within 24 hours in the world we live in today. But Charles Finney lived back in the 19th century. He's an amazing evangelist. God used him to win hundreds of thousands of souls to Christ. And, and Appleman is repeating a story uh, that Finney had, had uh, told. And here's how the story goes. Now listen to me. Uh, and I'm just reading exactly what's in the book. It said, it was Charles Finney who told this story. He was holding a revival in Detroit. One night, as he started to walk into the church, a man came up to him and asked, Are you Dr. Finney? Yes? I wonder if you'll do me a favor. When you get through tonight, will you come home with me and talk to me about my soul? Gladly. You wait for me. Finney walked inside and some of the men stopped him 
What did that man want, Brother Finney? He wanted me to go home with him. Don't do it. I'm sorry, but I promised, and I shall go with him. When the service was over, Finney started out the door. The man was waiting, took his arm, and said, Come with me. They walked three or four blocks, turned into a side street, walked down an alley, and at the second house, the man stopped. Stay here a minute, Brother Finney. He reached to his his pocket, pulled out a key, unlocked the door, turned to the preacher and said, Come in. Mr. Finney walked into the room. There was a carpet on the floor, a mantelpiece, a desk, a swivel chair, and two armchairs. There was nothing else. There was a, a kind of thin board partition all around the room, except where the fireplace was. Finney turned around. The man had locked the door, reached into his pocket, and pulled out a revolver and was holding it in his hand. I don't intend to do you any harm, he said. I just want to ask you some questions. Did you mean what you said in your sermon last night? What did I say? I've forgotten. An occupational hazard for pastors, preachers. What did you say? I've forgotten. You said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Then he said, yes, God says so. The man said, Brother Finney, you see this revolver? It has killed four people. It is mine. Two of them were killed by me, two of them by my bartender in a brawl in my saloon. Is there hope for a man like me? Finney said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The man said, Brother Finney, another question. In back of this partition is a saloon. I own it. Everything in it. We sell every kind of liquor to anybody who comes along. Many, many times I have taken the last penny out of a man's pocket, letting his wife and children go hungry. Many times women have brought their babies here and pleaded with me not to sell any more booze to their husbands, but I have driven them out and kept right on with the whiskey selling. Is there hope for a man like me? Finney said, God says, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Another question, Brother Finney. In back of this other partition is a gambling joint. And it is as crooked as sin. As crooked as Satan. There isn't a decent wheel in the whole place. It's all loaded and crooked. A man leaves the saloon with some money left in his pocket and we take his money away from him in there. Men have gone out of that gambling place to commit suicide when their money and perhaps entrusted funds were all gone. Is there any hope for a man like me? Finney said, God says, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. One more question. I will let you go. When you walk out of this alley, you turn to the right toward the street. If you look across the street, there you'll see a two-story brownstone house. It is my home. I own it. My wife is there and my 11-year-old child, Margaret. Thirteen years ago, I went to New York on business. I met a beautiful girl. I lied to her. I told her I was a stockbroker, and she married me. I brought her here, and when she found out my business, it broke her heart. I have made life a hell on earth for her. I have come home drunk, beaten her, abused her, locked her out, made her life more miserable than that of any brute beast. About a month ago, I went home one night, drunk, mean, miserable, My wife got in the way somehow, and I started beating her. 
My daughter threw herself between us and I slapped that girl across the face. I knocked her against a red-hot stove. Her arm is burned from shoulder to wrist. It will never look like anything decent. Brother Finney, is there hope for a man like me? Finney got a hold of that man's shoulders. He shook him and he said, Oh son, what a black story you have to tell. But God says, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The man said, thank you. Thank you very much. Pray for me. I'm coming to church tomorrow night. Then he went about his business, and the next morning about 7 o'clock, the saloon man started across the street out of his office. His necktie was awry. His face was dusty and sweaty and tear-stained. He was shaking and rocking as though he were drunk. But let us go back into that room. He had taken that swivel chair and smashed the mirror, the fireplace, the desk, and the other chairs. He had smashed the partition on each side. Every bottle and barrel and bar mirror in that saloon was shattered and broken up. The sawdust was swimming ankle deep in a terrible mixture of beer, gin, whiskey, and wine. In the gambling establishment, the tables were smashed. The dice and cards were in the fireplace smoldering. He staggered across the street, walked up the stairs to his home, and sat down heavily in the chair in his room. And his wife called the little girl, Maggie, run upstairs and tell Daddy breakfast is ready. The girl walked slowly up the stairs, half afraid. She stood in the door and said, Daddy, Mama said breakfast was ready to come down. Maggie, darling, Daddy doesn't want any breakfast. The little girl didn't walk. She flew down the stairs. Mama, Daddy said, Maggie, darling, and he didn't want any breakfast. Maggie, you didn't understand. You go upstairs and tell Daddy to come down. Maggie went back upstairs with the mother following her. The man looked up as he heard the child's steps spread, and he spread his knees out, and he said, Maggie, come here. And shyly and frightened in a tremble, the little girl walked up to him, and he lifted her, and he put her on his knee, and he pressed his face against her chest, and he wept. And the wife standing in the door didn't know what had happened. And after a while, he noticed her, and he said, Wife, come here. And he sat her down on his other knee and he threw his big man's arms around those two whom he loved, whom he had so fearfully abused. He lowered his face between them and sobbed until the room almost shook with the impact of his emotion. And after some minutes, he controlled himself. He looked up into the faces of his wife and girl and he said, Wife, daughter, you needn't be afraid of me anymore. God has brought you a new man. A new daddy came home today. And that same night, the man, his wife, their child, walked down the aisle of the church and gave their hearts to Christ and joined the church. He became an elder. Appleman says that Finney wrote the story, and he's passing it on to us with this caveat. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. No matter how deep your sin God's grace goes deeper. No matter how dark your past, God promises a future that is bright. No, how, no matter how terrible the events of your life have been, no matter how wicked you feel you may have been or not have been, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now is the time. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather every week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. 
Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.